Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. We are continuing again with the Darley Routier trial, and we had left off in the last episode with the first part of James Cron's testimony. Now, he had testified right after the bank employee, Oki Williams, and he had testified for a little while, kind of gave a little bit of his background, and then the jury needed to take a break. So that's where we are at right now. So let's quickly recap here. First, what he talked about in the first portion of his testimony. So in the first part of the testimony of James Cron, it's really kind of, there's not really a lot of substance to it. There is, he talks about his background, how many years he's been doing what he's been doing. And then it does get into his initial walkthrough. It gets into uh, the fact that he was accompanied by Walling and Maine. He noted blood and medical supplies on the front porch and in the entryway. And then there's information that just touches on the observations and the presence of other officers, like especially the vacuum cleaner, the lampshade next to the couch. If you remember, this is the one that kind of ended up on the edge of the couch. And then there was a photo where it was on the floor and that it was back up on the edge of the couch. But essentially, it was the beginning of his walkthrough of the entire crime scene. There was a point in there when he was talking about, um, or he was questioned about whether or not they walked through in a single file within the entire crime scene, because this is something that Officer Maine had testified to. He said, hey, we all walked in this straight line through the crime scene so that nothing was disturbed. But Cron adamantly denies this. He's like, this is not what we did. Cron then began to walk into, after he had gone into the initial main room and then through the kitchen, he had seen the vacuum cleaner laying on the floor and so forth. He said that he walked through the utility room into the garage. He didn't see any blood on the floor in the garage didn't find any pieces of glass uh, from the kitchen floor that may have been tracked from someone into the garage, said there was no blood on the window. Um, and at this point, Officer Hamilton, the one who did the fingerprints, he had not yet done the fingerprint work. So what Cron was looking at was kind of an undisturbed portion of the scene, as it were. I mean, nobody had really done anything up until this point. And that's literally kind of where it ended. And if you do want to hear his entire background, his whole testimony regarding the initial walkthrough, I suggest you just listen to that particular episode because that will give you a lot more information. But this episode actually gets into some pretty significant detail about the, especially in the kitchen, about the vacuum and about the glass that was on the floor and other things that he, Cron, quote unquote, observed. So, Let's get into that testimony right now. So let's continue with the testimony of James Cron. And the court says, are both sides ready to bring the jury back in? Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, says, yes, sir. We are ready. Mr. Doug Mulder then says, yes, sir. The defense is ready. 
And then the court says, all right, bring the jury back in, please. So the jury comes back in, they're seated, and Mr. Greg Davis continues his questioning of James Cron. Mr. Cron, we have gotten to the point where you had a chance to look at this particular window. Are there other windows in that garage, sir? Yes. Did you have an opportunity to look at them also? I did. Did you do that while you were inside the garage, or did you do that from the outside? Both inside and outside. Okay, well, let me just take you inside, then, the other windows. Did you find any other windows that were open, like the window shown in State's Exhibit 41-A and B? Did you see any other screens cut on the windows covering on the adjacent windows there in the garage? No, I didn't. Did you check them to see whether you saw any evidence of any blood or any disturbance around them? I did. Did you find any evidence of blood or disturbance around the other windows? No. Well, after you had a chance to check the windows, the door and the floor, and the general condition, did that pretty much complete your inspection of the garage? On the walkthrough part, yes, sir. All right. After you walked through the these particular rooms, including the garage, then what did you do? I then went out the front door around the side of the house towards the back. All right. And did the other officers go out there with you? Yes. Okay. What was the purpose of you going outside? To look for the unusual, possible points of entry or attempted points of entry at other windows, disturbed ground under the windows, cigarette butts, footprints, blood. If there were any outside, maybe a murder weapon, I'll say murder weapon, a knife, you know, a weapon, point of entries. Well, let me ask you, are there any other windows along the front side of the house? Yes. Did you check them to determine whether or not they showed any evidence that someone had come through? Yes. And what was, excuse me, what was the question again? Okay. Did you have a chance to examine the windows on the front part of the house? Yes. And what was the result of your inspection of those windows? There was no signs of any disturbance that I found. Are there flower beds out there in the front? Yes. Were you looking for them? Were you looking at them also? Yes, the bushes and so forth. Yes, I was. Okay, and what was the result of your inspection of the flower bushes and the flower beds in general? I saw no signs of disturbances that a person might have been trying to get past them into a window area. Okay. Did you do the same thing for the windows on the side of the house? I did. Did you do the same thing for the flower beds also? Yes. All right. What was the result there? I found no signs of an attempted entry. All right. Did you then get back to the back portion of the house? Yes. Do you remember the first thing that you looked at when you got back there? The driveway leading to the gate. All right. And what types of things were you looking for on the driveway? Blood, skid marks, and possibly any objects that might aid the investigation? Cigarette butts, knives. Okay, did you find any of those items, blood, skid marks, or other foreign objects out there on the driveway? No. Did you have a chance to look at the garage door itself on the outside? 
I did. All right. And what types of things were you looking for there? I was looking for signs of pry marks or for signs of attempted entry and blood. All right. Did you see any blood? No. Did you see any pry marks? None. Did you see any evidence of any sort of forced entry on that garage door? I did not. Now, when you looked at the garage door from the inside, had it been closed? Yes. Is there a latch to that garage door? It was latched. Okay. There is a latch. Okay. And the door was latched when you saw it. Is that right? That's correct. You looked at the driveway and the garage door now. Where is the next place that you and the other officers go to? The gate of the privacy fence, the wooden fence. All right. And when you are looking at this fence and you are talking about a privacy fence, is this the fence that encloses the backyard? It is. Is it painted? It's white. All right. Wooden fence, right? Yes. Wooden fence, painted white, six feet tall. What types of things are you looking for on the gate? A scuff marks, pry marks, blood. Okay. Anything to indicate forced entry or signs of that might belong, anything that might belong to an intruder. Did you see any blood? No. Did you see any pry marks? No. How about scuff marks? Yes, there were scuff marks. Okay. Where were they located on the gate? At the base of the gate or at the center, lower center? Okay. On the outside of the gate or on the inside of the gate? The outside. Okay. When you saw that set of scuff marks on the outside of the gate toward the bottom, did you have a chance to talk with Sergeant Matt Walling about them? I did. Did you try to determine how he had gained entry into that backyard? I did. Without going into what he said, did you determine how he did get in there? Yes. And after you did that, did you find anything unusual about the scuff marks that you had seen on the outside of the gate? No. At that point, Mr. Cron, did you look at the exterior of the fence or did you go ahead and go inside the backyard? I looked at the interior later. At that point, I went inside the yard. If you recall, where is the first place that you went once you got in the backyard? The window that had the screen cut and the partially opened window. Again, is that going to be the window shown in States Exhibit 41-B here? Yes. All right. So you had a chance to look at it from the outside now. I did. What types of things are you looking for? The same thing we had been looking for, or I had been looking for, throughout the scene. Blood, signs of an intruder. Did you find anything like that when you looked at this window from the outside? No. Where is next place that you went to then? It wasn't actually a specific area. It was just the interior of the courtyard surrounded by the white wooden fence. And again, what are you looking for then? Signs of traveling through the mulch that was in the areas where an intruder might have left. The window to the gate. I was looking for scuff marks on the gate to see if there were any signs of blood or scuff marks. Any signs of a person possibly scaling the fence. Okay, if we look at States Exhibit 13-A and 13-B, do we see an area of mulch here? Yes, okay. 
And again, both these photographs show the open window. Do they not? They do. Okay. Did you look in this area of mulch for signs of disturbance? I did. And again, what types of signs were you looking for? Well, that mulch, I was looking for any dampness or signs that feet were drugged through the area or fast movement of a heavy object to see if it traveled through the mulch. Okay, sir. When you looked at it, did you see any sign of that? No. Let me direct your attention down here to States Exhibit 13-E. Do you see that area? Yes. Is that another area of mulch in the backyard? It is. Okay. Did you look at that area also? I did. Were you looking for the same things? Yes. Okay. Did you find any evidence that that mulch had been disturbed? No, I tested it to see if it could be disturbed and I could disturb it. But how did you do that? Two ways. One, I walked flat-footed or very gently or easily across the mulch and nothing happened. I then walked very fast across it and I disturbed it. And I ran across it and I did disturb it. And the dampness under the upper layer of mulch was then exposed and was darker than the top layer, and it became evident. Then I did bend down and take my hand and just ruffle up the mulch, and, and it appeared dark wherever I did disturb it. Did you have a chance to go inside that spa there in the backyard? Yes. And again, were you looking for the same types of things inside the spa? Blood and yes, any signs of an intruder. All right. Did you see any blood inside the spa? No. Did you see any signs that an intruder had come into the spa? No. Any other areas of the backyard that stand out as areas that you went to that morning? That stand out? Yes, sir. Nothing was unusual. The windows were, the screens were intact. The windows were locked. I saw no signs of attempted entry. The white fence had no scuff marks or blood to where it appeared somebody had climbed over the fence. Okay, so I found nothing unusual in that respect. Okay, let me just ask you in particular, is there a sliding glass door that leads into the house from the backyard? Yes. Did you check that for pry marks or any other evidence of forced entry? I did. What was the result? There were none. Let me ask you, in this entire backyard, did you see any blood at all in this backyard? No. I'm including the ground. I'm including any of the objects here around this window. And I'm including the interior portion of the fence. Any blood at all? None. And the fence, as we can see, it's painted white, right? Yes. How about scuff marks on the inside part of that fence? I could find none. Did that pretty much conclude your inspection of the backyard then, the inside of the backyard? Well, on the inside, yes. I made several notations of mental observations, but nothing indicated an intruder. I noticed the blinds were... You could see the interior of the house through the Venetian blinds were, well, the blinds that were covering the sliding glass door. Okay. And what could you see inside the house looking through the blinds from the outside? You could see the family room or den, the interior. All right. 
Was there any light coming from the inside, from that family room? When I was out there, it was starting to get light, and I don't recall any bright lights from the inside shining out. Yes, sir. I don't recall. I mean, yeah, of course, I could see the lights were on in the hall because they were on when we were going through our walkthrough, but I didn't notice anything unusual about the lights. Okay. Any of the windows there into the garage or into the house? Any of them open? No. Besides this one that you had noted before, right? Well, the one with the cut screen, that is the only one. All right. Now, at that point, when you looked inside the backyard itself, had you concluded your initial walkthrough of the scene? No. All right. What else did you do then? I checked the exterior of the fence. Okay. And again, how did you do that? Just walked around it. At one time, I had to look at the other side of the fence. That is the side that facing the front of the house. I had to go around the house, which would amount to the side yard, I guess. I checked it for scuff marks and blood. Okay. Did you see any scuff marks? No. Did you see any blood? I did not. Did that conclude your initial walkthrough? Yes. Do you have an estimate of the amount of time that it took you to do that initial walkthrough, Mr. Cron? Well, 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Were you under any sort of a time constraint, or could you take as long as you needed? I could take whatever time I felt sufficient. All right, did you feel that you had sufficient time for that initial walkthrough? Just for the initial one? Yes, certainly, yes. All right, and let me ask you then, you finished your initial walkthrough of that residence, backyard exterior of the residence. Did you form any opinions after your initial walkthrough, sir? I was beginning to have some feelings about the offense. Yes, sir. All right. What impressions, if any, did you start to form after that initial walkthrough? That there had not been an intruder enter through the window. All right. And why did you come to that conclusion that there had been no intruder? Well, this is a, that is from your initial walkthrough. It's sort of a big picture. It's not any one thing. It was the overall scene, which primarily is the lack of evidence in many cases. But the entire scene indicated to me there had not been an intruder. There wasn't any one object or any one situation there. Uh, let me ask you, did you find the physical evidence there in the crime scene to be consistent or inconsistent with information that you had been given by the Rowlett police officers prior to starting the walkthrough? inconsistent. And by the time you did this walkthrough, you had been doing these kinds of things for how many years? Oh, around 39. You have met with the officers. You have done your initial walkthrough with them. What is the next thing to do in this situation? Well, there is a loose procedure that can be altered due to the different circumstances. But there is a basic procedure to use in crime scene investigation. Is that what you want me to? Yes, sir. What is that procedure? Is it just something that you have come up with? Or is it some sort of standardized procedure? Well, it's basically standard. It's a common sense approach more than anything. It involves a walkthrough naturally to plan your attack or plan your actions at a scene. The second one is to record everything. 
photographically and in a sketch if it's required in the type of scene that you're investigating, but record it with notes, measurements of the sketch, and a series of photographs. Once it's recorded, the next step is to take care of your fragile evidence, hair, fiber, blood, anything that could be destroyed, latent prints, and the step after that is your movable objects, items that might be sent to a crime lab or to be processed, however, processed at a police department or a sheriff's department or at your own, the investigator's own agency, the movable things have to be taken care of. Then the scene is inspected. Objects removed, photographs then, follow-up photographs are then taken to see what is under, behind, on top of, or whatever of the evidence. This is after it's initially recorded in its intact or first position, and the photographs have already been taken. After that, another walkthrough is conducted to ensure that something wasn't overlooked. Basically, that is the steps used in a crime scene procedure. The variations would occur where you have an outside condition that maybe the weather was going to destroy some evidence and you would have to skip the photographs in place of collecting it before it would be damaged by the weather. A crowd condition where you might have a hostile crowd. You have to watch the evidence such as weapons or on a highway that the traffic was a problem. But these are also, that is the basic steps in a crime scene investigation. How many years have these procedures been in place in law enforcement? Well, most of the books that have been written on it from the 40s, 1940s, 40s, we are talking about 50 years for those procedures in use, right? Yes, they are standard in all crime scene investigation, criminal investigation books now, academies, and so forth. Well, barring some sort of weather problem or some sort of outside element there, would these steps in the procedures, would they change with the type of offense that you're going to go out there and investigate? No, the only thing that would change is if you didn't have blood. Naturally, you wouldn't collect blood, but the basic steps are the same from criminal mischief to multiple homicide. And when you go out to process a scene, Mr. Cron, do you just simply walk into a scene? Would it ever be proper to just simply walk into a scene, look at it, and then leave? No. Okay. Are there things that you have to do in order to process a scene? Yes. And investigate a scene? Yes. What types of things do police have to do in order to investigate and process a crime scene? Well, one thing that is necessary, whether it's basics to a crime scene to a traffic ticket, you have to ask the person present what happened, be it victim, witness, anyway, you have to, they were there, so you ask them what happened. Let me ask you, in this case, the defendant was not at the location when you were processing this crime scene, was she? No. Her husband, was he present there for you to talk to while you are processing this crime scene? No. So normally you would want to talk to somebody who is there, right? Yes. What's the next thing then that you would want to do? I would talk to the officers that talked to the person that I would had wanted to talk with. 
Did you have, you had a chance to do this, that in this case, right? I did. Okay. What are some of the other things that are necessary in order to investigate and process a crime scene? Well, outside of the information received from the people we're talking about, the witness or the victim, yes, is information from the officers themselves on what they saw and observed and their actions on the scene. In order to process the scene properly, is it necessary at times to move things? Definitely. Okay. And what are some of the reasons why you might want to move an object once you get to a crime scene? Well, there are, there's many reasons. I mentioned weather, crowd conditions, hostile crowds in riot situations. One is after the photographs or your initial photographs to record the scene are taken. You have to move the evidence then. Okay, why? To do a thorough investigation, it would be equivalent to having a body at the scene and not looking under it. You have to look for evidence and moving objects during an investigation is just one of the things that has to be done to find the evidence. Well, after the initial photographs are taken, would you consider it to be altering or tampering with a crime scene to move certain things to investigate the scene? No. Is that done on all crime scenes by police every day? It would be malpractice if they didn't move it when they conducted the crime scene investigation. You're still out there with Rowlett Police Department at this time, correct? Yes, okay. In your discussions with them, did you ever indicate that you thought it might be helpful for other people from other agencies to come out there and assist you in the crime scene search investigation? There were some people I thought might help in this type of offense, yes. Okay, who were those people? People from what is commonly called SWIFTS or Southwestern Institute of Forensic Science, colloquial, the crime lab. We call it SWIFTS, right? Yes, SWIFTS, Dallas County Crime Lab personnel. All right. I suggested they contact the people from Trace Evidence in or Serology, either one or both. Is there someone that you had in mind out there in the Trace Evidence at SWIFTS? Yes, Charles Lynch. And you have dealt with Charles Lynch in the past, I take it, many times. Serology also. Would that be someone to do something with the blood work out there? Right. Did you recommend anybody in particular, or did you just leave that up to Swifts or Rowlett? No. I knew that whoever was on duty, if they contacted Lynch and they, Rowlett PD, requested serology to come with the trace evidence man, who is Charles Lynch, that he would pick who he wanted to travel with out there. I didn't recommend a name. Well, as you begin to process this crime scene, was it your responsibility to actually go around and actually collect evidence or blood samples or fingerprints or any physical evidence out there at the scene? No, they called me for advice. Okay, so what did you understand your role to be out there as the scene started to be processed? Advice, consultant, it wasn't even to be an overseer. I was to direct no one. They didn't tell me I wasn't to, but that is not the way I operate. I observe, and if I saw them doing something that maybe was out of step or they should do it earlier, before, I would give them directions. I made a few hints, such as calling the people from the crime lab. I advised them to collect several other items. 
which they may have been going to anyway. But since I was there, I went ahead and advised them to do it. Okay, what was the first thing that you thought would be proper to do in processing this crime scene? The first thing? Yes, sir. Photographs. All right. And to your knowledge, were photographs taken by Rowlett police officer after you did your initial walkthrough of the house? Yes, that was one of the first things they did. Sort of at the same time, a sketch was being prepared, but that the sketcher follows behind the crime scene photographer so he won't get in the picture, but that can be done at the same time. All right, so walk through photographs. What is the next thing that you thought was proper to do in the process? To start collecting some blood, that was my next suggestion, and to do or conduct some presumptive blood tests, that is, field tests to determine if things are blood. All right. When it came down to the blood samples, the taking of the samples, did you direct the Rowlett officers to specific locations in the house and tell them to take a sample here, or I want a sample there, or how did you handle that? I did on a couple of areas, but the rest, they seemed to be doing fine. I didn't follow the blood collector around. I did suggest several areas. All right, so first thing, take the blood samples. To your knowledge, did the Rowlett officers then begin to do that? They did. Okay. Next thing that you thought would be proper to do in this sequence. Latent prints. We held off, or I say we, I told them to hold off a little until Charles Lynch or whoever was coming from the crime lab arrived. As it was, he did arrive before they started doing the latent print processing because we didn't want to lose a hair because some of the latent print processing involves camel hair or other type brushes, and I didn't want any interference with the hair collection. All right, so trace evidence that would include the collection of hairs and fibers, right? Yes, trace meaning small items, paint, flakes, hair, fibers, small items of evidence. And to your knowledge then, the latent prints were not begun until trace evidence had a chance to do some of that. Is that right? In the areas that we were concerned with, hair and fibers, and naturally some higher up areas that, you know, we didn't, I didn't hold them back on every area, just the places where there could be hairs and fibers. Did Charles Lynch then arrive at the scene? Yes. Did someone from serology come out there with him? Yes. Do you remember what that person's name was? I believe her last name is Long. All right. Does Catherine Long sound familiar? That does. That's it. I couldn't recall her first name. All right. When Catherine Long got there, at any time did she also begin taking blood samples from inside the residence? Yes, sir. Both of them were doing presumptive tests and collection of blood and as was the Rowlett Police Department. So you have got these two individuals doing the presumptive plus doing some blood samples. You've got Rowlett doing blood samples. Next in the sequence, then, I understand, was you do trace evidence, correct? In areas where you are going to do latents? Yes. Okay. Then you attempt to lift latent fingerprints, correct? That's correct. All right. And to your knowledge, then, did a Rowlett police officer begin doing that? Yes. 
Do you remember who that was out there on June the 6th? The only one I saw processing? Well, the answer is yes, I do know. Okay, and who was that? Hamilton. Charles Hamilton? Yes. Okay. After you have collected the blood, you have done the trace evidence, and you begin processing for latent prints, in your opinion, what would have been the next proper thing to do, and what did do you out there? Any large items needed to be collected, such as the screen, and I told them to, you know, anything movable. We started moving objects, vacuum cleaner, big, heavy objects. I say big and heavy other than something you can hold in one hand. Okay. And again, why did you go along with the idea of moving these particular items? Well, one, I wanted to look under some of them myself, and we wanted to, I wanted them to look and see what they could find by nature of blood, hair, fiber, weapons. Were there some items that you moved yourself inside the house? The base of the lamp, I checked the weight of the table, the glass top. I looked in a couple of drawers in the kitchen that were exposed and open and had the blood cloth items on top. I didn't do that much. I did test the light switch to see if the light worked on the back patio light, and it did come on when I threw the switch on. Okay. Are you talking about, I believe, in one of the photographs, we might be able... Are you talking about a light that would be attached to the house? Yes, porch light, and it was in working condition. Is that right? Yes. You mentioned that you went to, I guess, a coffee table in the family room. Is that right? Yes. And what exactly did you do with that coffee table, Mr. Cron? I pushed it with my legs to see if it was heavy or light, which I assumed it was going to be heavy because they normally are, but I wanted to feel it myself. Okay, is this the table that is shown in 47-A, States Exhibit 47-A? Yes, okay, well, what did you find? Is this table light or is it heavy? It's heavy, okay. And give us an idea of the amount of, what did you do to it exactly? I braced my leg against it and then leaned towards the direction of it to see how easily it moved. And what did you find out when you tried to do that? It was difficult to move without exerted pressure or effort. Did it appear to you when you looked at it that morning, when you first saw it, that it was off-center? Yes. Now, I think you said you touched a couple of drawers in the kitchen, right? Yes. What other items did you move that you recall? I looked at some of the glass on the floor. I had them collect some of the glass. Uh, let me ask you, what was the purpose of having Rowlett collect some of the glass on the floor? What were you thinking at that time? At that time, when I actually, this really came about from the walkthrough, is when I verbally said, quote, you need to collect some glass. Glass is collected anytime it's on the floor at a crime scene or should be collected. Later, if an intruder is found that has the glass embedded in the soles of their shoes, it might be possible the lab could make a connection and determine it's the same type of glass. It's a form of placing the person inside the building or at a scene. What was the purpose in you actually picking up some of the glass? Why did you do that? 
to see how sharp it was and to see if it was all consistent with being the same type. Okay, and color-wise, mainly. When you were looking to see how sharp this glass was, what were you thinking at that time? That part on the sharpness came after I had come in and I started forming my opinion of the crime scene. The purpose then was to see how sharp it was. I wanted to determine if the complainant, in this case, had cuts on the soles of her feet. Okay, when you looked at this glass, I don't know how you quantify this, but how sharp was the broken glass? I cut myself on it. Okay, it was sharp. Okay, I made a mistake and applied too much pressure and cut myself. Okay, was there ever an occasion when you were present and a vacuum cleaner was moved? Yes, okay. Tell us, where was the vacuum cleaner when you first saw it? Between the kitchen, an island in the center of the kitchen, and the island counter, and the divider between the kitchen and the living room. It was on the floor. All right, whose idea was it to move the vacuum cleaner? Mine, but I would say more, actually, it was a mutual consent as the photographs when they were finished, we were following behind the photographer and we said, let's look under it. Okay, well, why did you want to look under it? When you look under things just to see what you find. I had no idea what I would find, but I was looking for evidence. Who actually moved the vacuum? David Main. Okay, Rowlett police officer? Yes. Did you observe how he moved the vacuum cleaner? I was standing with him. I was at one end of the vacuum and he was at the other. All right. Did you, both of you lift it? Or did one of you or? No, he did. I didn't touch it. Okay. Mr. Cron, did you observe whether or not as he lifted this vacuum cleaner, whether or not David Maine rolled it on the floor? Or did he just simply lift it up and off the floor? No, he lifted it. We didn't want to roll it on the floor. Why not? It looked like there were already roll marks on the floor and I didn't want them disturbed. Okay, what did these roll marks look like? It looked like tracks from the wheels of the vacuum cleaner, a series of bloody wheel roll marks. Okay, straight lines somewhat? Yes, sir. Okay, Mr. Cron, if you would, if you would step down for just a moment, sir. Again, if you will wait for everybody to come around. Let me ask you first to look at State's Exhibit 43-B. Do you recognize that scene, sir? Yes. And what does that show? The vacuum cleaner lying on the kitchen floor. State's Exhibit 43-B. What does that show? It shows drops of blood, shapes in the blood on the kitchen floor. Okay. Where the vacuum had been? Yes, the area under the vacuum. Okay. Have we indicated on State's Exhibit 43-B to what appeared to be bloody footprints? Yes. When Officer Main lifted up this vacuum cleaner, could you see those two, these two bloody footprints where the vacuum cleaner had been, sir? I could. Could you also observe blood drops underneath where the vacuum cleaner had been? Yes. Could you also observe any broken glass under this area where the vacuum cleaner had been? Yes. Did you, do you see any on this particular photograph here, 43-B? And if so, just point them out for the members of the jury. 
there is they're a little difficult to see because being clear glass you can see some reflections some of the pieces don't actually show up on the photograph but the little reflections show okay some of the glass reflections from the flash you know of the camera okay let me ask you i want to talk about these two bloody footprints did you find any broken glass resting on top of the bloody footprints in this area of the kitchen? Yes. On top of it? Yes. Bloody glass? No. There was glass on it, but the glass wasn't bloody. Okay. So you have got glass without blood, without blood on it, sitting on top of bloody footprints. Is that right? Yes. Now, you had also indicated, Mr. Cron, that you saw what appeared to be roll marks before the vacuum cleaner was moved. Is that right? That's correct. Do you see anything on State's Exhibit 43-B that would demonstrate that for the jury? This is one of the best examples in this picture, is this mark here. You can see where the blood is displaced on the left and right here. It appears to be a roll mark where the blood was. It was displaced by whatever rolled through it. When we, let me give you an example. If I am out on a roadway driving, the roadway is wet. Will the tires push it through? Will it displace or push the water to the sides? Yes. Is that what you're talking about here when you look at this roll mark here on 43-B? Yes. That's why it's darker on both sides. It's where the blood is spread out. Was this the only area here that you have pointed out on State's Exhibit 43-B that you thought at the time might be a roll mark in that area of the kitchen? There was one other. I would have to look at the series of pictures to see where it is. But no, that wasn't the only roll mark. Okay, this was, this was one here. But there was some other marks that appeared to be, to me, to be roll marks from the vacuum. Okay, are you certain that those roll marks were present on this floor before Officer Main lifted this vacuum cleaner up off the floor, sir? Well, we specifically discussed it. He lifted up and set it aside, not drag it across the blood. That would have defeated the purpose of being careful at the scene. Okay, thank you, sir. At this point, the court then pipes up and says, all right, ladies and gentlemen, in view of the hour now, we will recess until nine o'clock tomorrow morning. And then the court then gives them instructions. And we will also end this second, our second portion of the testimony of James Cron and then resume in the next episode. So in this coverage of James Cron, we did learn a lot of information, didn't we? Uh, so first of all, there's lots of exhibits or things that they refer to, and I will have those available on the website so that you can uh, refer to them yourself if you have the opportunity. The first thing that Cron does is he talks about checking the windows in the inside the garage, and he did not find any blood, etc., after he finished looking over the garage, he then went back out the front door, around to the back of the house, and the other officers followed. Now, as he walked around the house, he looked at the windows and the flower beds below those windows, and he did not notice any signs of disturbance. He then walked around to the back of the house, where the driveway is located, 
and he looked for skid marks in the driveway uh, in the event that somebody took off very quickly. He looked for blood and etc. He didn't find any of that. He further mentions that he looked at the outside of the garage door for forced entry. And of course here, he's also looking for blood and he didn't find anything. He said that the garage was latched and then he was asked if he had looked at the inside of the garage door when he was inside the garage and he was asked if it was latched. He said, yes. Then he said there was a latch. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but this sounds like he's trying to qualify the statement, which, you know, essentially means that he's not fully committing to what he's saying. But like I said, I may just be reading far too much into it. Then they talk about the fence uh, gate leading into the backyard. And just for reference, the fence around the back of the Routier home is a wooden six foot tall fence that's painted white. And Kron was looking for scuff marks, again, for blood, etc. He did say that there were scuff marks near the bottom of the outside of the fence door. Evidently, he then had a discussion with Walling, who was there, and then determined that the scuff marks were of no importance. But we never hear any detail about this as to why. He then opens this gate and walks into the backyard. He said he went over to the window that with a screen cut and the partially opened window. So this kind of confused me. Uh, so two windows were open. I don't think that was the case. I think he was referring to just the one window, but it was slightly confusing. And evidently in the trial, they bring this up and said, this is the window shown in 41B. And he found nothing odd there and then went to go look in the backyard in general and looked for signs of someone scaling the fence from the inside if there was any mulch disturbance etc and again they refer to states exhibits 13-a and 13-b and again i'll have all of these on the website and these two photos the 13a and 13b show the mulch area in the area of the quote-unquote open window and again i'm assuming that they're talking about the one with the screen cut there is a bed of mulch several feet away from this open window. He said he saw no disturbance of the mulch and he tested this in various ways. But here's the thing. I understand why he may be looking at the mulch, but there are very large sections of cement in the backyard as well. They're like cement paths. I suppose someone could be in a hurry and not pay attention and disturb the mulch. But you'd almost have to go out of your way to do that because of these large cement paths that are there. Kron then talks about looking inside the spa that was in the backyard. And overall, he said he found nothing unusual during his walkthrough, at least here. He saw no pry marks on the sliding glass doors in the backyard, which lead into the family room inside the home. He did say that he could see into the family room from the outside. If you're standing in the backyard, he could see through the blinds into the family room. And during this whole portion, while the prosecution is, is asking him questions, there is constant mention that he didn't, quote, see any blood on the outside in the backyard. 
Now, Kron said that his whole walkthrough took maybe 25 to 30 minutes in his estimate. He wasn't under any time constraints and he could take as much time as he wanted to. But after walking around the exterior of the fence, he's in the backyard, goes back out, walks around the outside of the fence, finds no blood or scuff marks. This concluded his walkthrough. He states that he had started to form some initial impressions about what maybe it had happened. And when he was asked about this, he said that he thought that there had not been an intruder. He was also asked if, when examining the crime scene, that the physical evidence did not match what the Rowlett PD actually told him before he began to inspect the area. He does give the typical steps that are taken in a crime scene investigation. And what struck me was when he said that the last thing to do is to move objects after all of the photographs and the fibers, etc., all that collection is completed. And this brings us back to the photography by Officer Maine. I believe when he was moving the folders next to the couch in order to take photographs of them, it's unknown if all of the photos had been taken at that point in time, if any fibers, etc., had been collected at that point. We know that Hamilton, the fingerprint guy, didn't arrive until later in the morning to do fingerprints. So if these folders were disturbed and then placed on the couch or on a pillow to take further photographs, that any fingerprints there might have been compromised. Now, further, he said that ideally you want to talk to the people that were there. And Darren and Darley at this time, they're both in the hospital or at the hospital. And so he said that the next best thing to do is to talk to the officers who then talk to them. Now, we all know, I don't care who you are, that information, when it's passed from one person to another, oftentimes isn't entirely accurate. I don't know why he just didn't wait to speak to Darren and Darley rather than just listening to the information from the police department. And maybe he does. Maybe he eventually does. I don't know. Uh, he did say that he did have the chance to do this, to talk with the officers. But this is kind of glazed over at this point within the testimony. Greg Davis just continues to go on and talk about the crime scene process. I want to know who he talked to, but, you know, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. Cron also said that he suggested to the Rowlett Police Department that they bring in people from Swifts. And essentially, this is the crime lab in Dallas. And he suggested a man by the name of Charles Lynch, who would likely bring along a colleague from serology, which he did. And this happened to be Catherine Long. Now, Cron admits his only job out there was to be a consultant, nothing more. He said he wasn't explicitly told not to offer advice to those processing the scene, but he did go ahead and drop hints anyway. So does this indicate then that what he saw being done by the Rowlett Police Department wasn't exactly proper? Cron also said, that photographs were taken after he had walked the crime scene. But I'm not sure that that was the case. I'm going to have to go back and look at other testimony or review other testimony. Because I'm pretty sure the way I understood it was that 
photographs were being taken before he even showed up and then he showed up. I'm not quite sure. I'm maybe wrong on that. Next in the crime process is the collection of blood samples. And he did suggest some areas to gather this blood to the officers that were there. And then finally, once all this is done, you gather the fingerprints. Kron had suggested to the group that was there, the police that were there, that they wait until Lynch showed up. And I was kind of kind of thrown a little bit for this because I, if he's saying, if Kron is saying, hey, police, go ahead and contact this Charles Lynch, but then they're still all there, and this is around 6-something in the morning, or maybe it's later. I don't know. But he's like, hey, wait until he shows up. So at some point, he had been contacted. And he said that they waited until Charles Lynch arrived before doing the latent print processing. Now, if you remember, the one who did that was Hamilton. And Hamilton said he started his process at 10 o'clock. But during Hamilton's testimony, he said that only David Maine, Sergeant Neighbors, James Cron, and Officer Clark, who did the room measurements, were there. There was no mention of Lynch at all. Cron said that Lynch did arrive at the scene, so I'm assuming that's why all, you know, Cron is still there. You know, that would have been pretty quick. When Lynch and Catherine Long do arrive, they begin to collect blood samples and stuff, and then the collection of trace evidence, getting the hairs, etc. They get all this done, and after all this is done, the fingerprints can begin to be collected, and Cron did say that it was Hamilton that was the one who did the fingerprints. He tested, Cron tested to see if the porch light worked, and it did. It's never explicitly mentioned that this would be the one... to the backyard, this porch light on the back of the house. But I suppose we can assume that. He also talks about the coffee table in the family room. You know, the one with the great big flower arrangement on top of it. He said that when he first observed it, it was off center. Kron does talk about touching a couple of drawers in the kitchen, as well as glass on the floor of the kitchen, little pieces of glass. And says that collecting this is important because in the event that glass is found embedded in a suspect's shoes, for example, the bottom of the shoes, it would place them at the scene. So, yeah, I agree with that. Nowhere in here is it mentioned if he's wearing gloves when he's going through touching all these things. We do find out that he cut himself on one of the pieces of glass that he picked up, but he doesn't say that it went through a glove, just that he cut himself. He was interested to know if Darley had cuts to the bottom of her feet because they had noticed bloody footprints underneath this vacuum cleaner. So let's get into the vacuum cleaner. Kron said he was following behind the photographer uh, taking the pictures and then said about the vacuum cleaner, quote, let's look under it. So this vacuum cleaner was lying in the middle of the kitchen floor. He said Officer Maine physically lifted the vacuum from the floor. He did not roll it. And this does coincide with the testimony from Officer Maine. And they specifically refer to also States Exhibit 43-B, 
but I'm going to get into some extra ones that they didn't uh, talk about in the testimony that will be helpful for you if you care to look at them. And this 43B shows what they found underneath the vacuum. He, Kron, said the glass was on top of the bloody footprints that evidently were under this vacuum. However, he said that there was glass on these footprints, but that the glass was not bloody. But the glass is on top of these bloody footprints, right? Surely a small speck of blood should have been on these pieces, unless the blood had dried so much that it didn't pick up the blood. So I was really curious about this. Blood can dry within minutes to hours. However, according to what Kron is saying, all of this happened, this glass and these bloody footprints and the stuff under the, the vacuum, all of this happened during the crime. The only way that no blood could be on the glass, at least wet blood, would be if the blood had already dried before the glass was there. And I sure hope, and I'm sure they will, but I sure hope the defense talks about this because I cannot believe that these little pieces of glass wouldn't have picked up something. Then there are the roll marks in the photo that shows that the vacuum actually went through the blood. So remember, in the testimony, they were only talking about exhibit number 43-B. But this particular image, it doesn't offer a whole lot in the whole scheme of things. So I'm going to add on the website, states exhibits 36-G and 43 through 43-G because these show more images of this vacuum and helps to put the whole scenario into perspective. Now, I'm sure that this line of questioning will continue because this is kind of where they just stopped and said, hey, it's the end of the day. And let's just not worry about this right now. And they'll come back tomorrow. So I'm sure that, like I said, this is going to continue the next day and within the next episode. And these will likely be referenced to these images that I just spoke about. But I thought it might be helpful right now. So anyway, that's kind of a quick overview of the entire testimony from today. And the next episode will also follow James Curran and another portion of his testimony. The following day, there are only two witnesses and James Cron takes up most of the day. So I'm going to break that up into two separate episodes because it would just run hours if I just did the whole entire thing. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We will see you in the next episode. Thank you.